we as people have a tendency to define things with negative connotation in a way that excludes ourself. And I believe American Christian religion does that. Welcome back to In Session with Jared and Clay. I'm Dr. Jared Cox. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy the show. And as we get today's show started, I feel the need to say that Clay and I want our show's reach to be as far and as wide as it can possibly be. And I say that because Christianity keeps coming up, but that's not our agenda. Yes, we have Jason here. Yes, we refer to him as the chaplain. But Jason's here for the same reason Greg's here. They're friends with whom we can have candid, honest, cross-racial discussions. So when Christianity comes up, it's not meant to preach. It comes up because that's just who we are. And I want you and all of our listeners to know that whether or not you're a person of faith, I hope you'll feel comfortable being here because we are certainly comfortable having you here. Everyone is welcome. With that being said, it just so happens this week that during my prep for this episode, I read that Christian theology and Christian institutions have been what this writer called a central cultural tentpole holding up white supremacy. You may agree with that. You may disagree with that. We're going to talk about it today, but today Christianity will be an even bigger part of our show than normal. But please don't turn us off. I think this episode will serve everyone quite well, regardless of faith. Shortly after I read about that, I also read about a church in Georgia built in the 1800s, and after it was constructed, the local paper declared it second to none in the state. With its southern architecture and charm, I can imagine families dressed in their Sunday best and little boys and girls holding their mother's hands as they walked into the sanctuary and, and overflowed into the grand balcony. It must have been something quite beautiful to behold. It had 287 white members. It had 400 enslaved black members. And the sermon preached at the new building's dedication service on March 18th 1855, was based on the familiar text, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Financial records from the church's history showed that the cost of the land was paid from a church building fund, and that church building fund showed deposits from the sale of teenage boys. Teenage boys from that church. And that church in Georgia now has to live with knowing that in its history, it sold some of its own members. It broke up some of its own families to build a building. And the hands of the slaves who continued to be members of that church laid its foundation and drove every nail to make that building stand. Christianity in America has some dark spots in its history. Christianity in America today is dealing with some of that history, but evidence shows that Christianity today may still be served by the hands of slavery in the form of white supremacy that remains in the air among us. You may not buy into that, but a recent opinion poll claims that white Christians are twice as likely as non-Christians to deny the existence of structural racism. White Christians are 30% more likely to say that Confederate monuments are merely symbols of Southern pride rather than racism. And white Christians are 20% more likely than non-Christians to disagree that generations of slavery and discrimination continue to have an impact that makes it difficult for black Americans to work their way out of the lower class. That poll is where we're going to start today. I'm ready to hear what the guys have to say about it. Are you ready to start our session? Let's go. Fellas, welcome back. Good to be here. Very nice to be here. I sent each of you a poll this week. Interestingly enough, I saw this article as I was scrolling through the headlines, and within an hour, Clay emailed me saying he had he had seen it too. One of his friends had sent it to him, and I said, okay, we have to talk about this. Clay, what's your first reaction to those numbers? 
my first reaction as I sit here right now is uh, overwhelmingly an emotional one because of the story that you just told in, in the intro, and it's, uh, it's made me extremely sad to hear that story in reference to the you know to the article and in reference to how you've started the conversation i want to draw a distinction between christianity and american christian religion and if you will allow me i would i would like to say that christianity at least my belief is centered and organized around following jesus the words and the teachings of Jesus, and it is not bound by the constraints of theology and ideology and doctrine and socioeconomic class and, and color of skin or family of origin or any other characteristic you want to throw out there. That, that true Christianity is the following of Jesus. So I, I want to draw this distinction because we're not going to be talking about that. But American Christian religion, which is very much a social construct and an offshoot of European Christian religion, and when I use that terminology, I think it's important for us to understand that that religion is an invented social construct based off of man's interpretation of Scripture, writings, of tradition, things that have been passed down. And way too often, I believe, uh, maybe too much emphasis is put on that. But at any rate, um, American Christian religion is going to be part and parcel, part of the system of what we're actually talking about. And so to that, I'm in agreement that American Christian religion is part of structural and systemic racism. And I think we can have that conversation. I just really wanted to draw that distinction for our our listeners and and even for myself. If you hear me speaking in this manner, that I'm I'm going to be using that term to keep that distinction. So anyway, that that distinction comes you know to mind first and foremost. The second point that I would say when with opinion polls and with you know, quantitative statistics, <laughs> those always have to be viewed and looked at with a, a grain of salt because it's a subjectively created instrument. And, and you know what you can do with numbers and, and stats and stuff like that. It's not to discount it at all, but I don't know that that's really the salient news out of that article. It's interesting and I know that it talks about, you know, Catholics and Protestants and evangelical Protestants, and it's the whole it's the whole gamut and all across the nation. It will talk about southern areas in in some sense, but it's it's really talking about all of American Christian religion. So initially, that's that's where I am on how you've started us off there. I will say that we have often talked about how we as people have a tendency to define things with negative connotation in a way that excludes ourself. And I believe American Christian religion does that. Mm -hmm. I think they are very much a participant in that type of exercise. And so what that actually is, is it, it is a state of denial. And denial, real denial you are unaware of. Occasionally you'll hear people say, I'm in denial, which is really kind of a stupid thing to say because <laughs> you, if, you, if you are in denial, you cannot know that you are in denial to make that statement. That's, that's theoretically impossible. But to truly be in denial is to, to be unaware you know, of the processes that are driving some of this stuff. And by my observation, that it seems that as a nation, a lot of people are in denial. Mm -hmm. Greg, what do you think? Let me kind of piggyback off of what Coach said. And it's something that I think we've, we've hit on in one of our last couple shows. I think people being in denial is, is, is definitely, that's a strong, strong point there, Coach. 
The other is, I believe there's some people that will admit it, that that is true, hmm. but they they don't know what to do or they are they fear admitting it. Uh, not mostly, and to a point, and this is what I'm saying, they're not, they won't maybe admit that they're in denial. They will, if you ask them, I think people will probably say, yeah, this is true. But they won't say anything if you don't ask them or if you don't approach it. Or they won't do anything different to kind of help it or make it better. So we talked a little bit the other week about fear and people admitting and talking about I've messed up or I have been a racist or my actions have been, I've, I've, I've had racist actions and admitting those things because they fear if they admit those things, what might happen to them or what people might say. And so therefore you just have a bunch of people that are, they just don't say anything. And I think we kind of live in, in that world. I think this goes hand in hand with that to me. That is, is a, I would almost think the majority of people would admit this, but they're not going to say anything. That's just a thought. Public confession. Churches struggle with that all across the board. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, I think we as people struggle with that, but I think the church struggles with it and coming out and saying we were wrong because the facade is sometimes of a church or a congregation or people is that everything is right here. Everything is beautiful and sunshiny and good and, and right. It's about image. Image. And we don't admit our wrongs. We don't acknowledge our wrongs. That's not even who Jesus called us to be. That's not, if you talk about Christianity and you're talking about yeah. the study and the teachings of Jesus, he doesn't say, don't acknowledge that you're wrong. That's not what he taught us. But a lot of times I, I, I do believe that is what the church does. Just thoughts. Yeah, no, good ones. I, I think that American Christian religion is a microcosm or a subsystem of basic just American culture, mm-hmm. societal culture, they're they're doing the same thing. It's based on money. It's based on uh, competition. You know, you have the, you have the corporate. You know, American Christian religion is corporately driven and run. It just is, and There's, very much on the social media, like everything else. Yeah, too now, coach, and you know how social media is. I mean, everybody wants to look good on social media. You know, what's the one thing everybody posts their vacations and post this and post that, and we want to look nice and shiny and and get as many likes as we can. And unfortunately, the church is much like that at times too. Yeah, yeah, and it, so they're operating under the same constraints as the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And it really gets a little bit muddled because they also are probably the first to stand up and pridefully say that we're different or better. But if you just take an honest look, I mean, religion is still fairly segregated. Not everywhere and all the time, obviously, but a lot of it is. Yes. uh, Still. Yes. You know, I don't, I don't have all the answers, you know, right now in, in front of me, but my observation is that, you know, American Christian religion or churches, as you're talking about, is no different from the society at large when it comes to being participants mm-hmm. in this larger, complex abstraction called racism. There's no doubt. Yeah. And, uh, well, you really don't hear those conversations. Uh, you know, occurring very often. So, yeah. So I'm gonna get into the weeds a little bit. You yeah. know, I've been a minister or a pastor for 20 years at local churches, and I've run the gamut of all different kind of churches, right? And what I've come to understand is the church used to be the center of community, and if we exchange the word community, we could say culture. It was the Mm -hmm. center of culture. Mm -hmm. But since we live in a a kind of a post-Christian experience today, it has shifted from the church to school. 
and schools are now our community or our culture. And if you watch the school systems and how they are separated, it is mind boggling, yeah. right? So I agree that the church is a reflection of our values and our culture, right? And I'm not quite sure I have a problem with that, right? So the, the couple of things. One, whenever you re- read op-ed posts or or articles, I always ask the question, what are you trying to sell me on? Mm-hmm. Like, like what's, what's the take-home message? What are you saying? What's the conclusion? Are you saying in this article that the WASP, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, is the problem in America today? Is that the take-home message you want us to, to leave with? Because if if I was a WASP, mm-hmm. um, I would look at this article and say, "What? Do you, I'm offended by that." But there are some that would probably say, "Yeah, that that might be the case." So, uh, so one, what are you what are you trying to sell us on? Are you selling us on the fact that the the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant is the problem in America today. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I get from that article, right? Just a little bit. But I got to touch on this. I, I I don't have a problem a culture adopting Jesus. I, I don't have a problem with that because if you look historically, we've always wanted a savior that looked like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just the way it is, right? <laughs> if you go to my grandmama's house, we got black Jesus with dreadlocks in, in, in my house, right? And that's the way we grew up, and he's buff, right? Uh, I, I have some some friends that are Filipino. They've got an Asian Jesus on mm-hmm, the wall, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and whites put the white Jesus, blonde hair, blue eyed, right? And, and I'm okay with that. Like, we want our savior to look like us. We want to be able yes, to identify yes, yes. with him. So we, we go over this in my class in a study on the life and teachings of Christ. Like there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. Now, if we look at the historical Jesus, well, there's a number of issues there that we'll have to address. And we need to be aware that Jesus probably didn't look like this. Okay. <laughs> let's just, let's just say it for what it is. But church is a culture. And I love what coach said. There's a huge difference between how we express our beliefs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and actually what the teachings are and how close we follow those teachings, right? right? So there's a big, big difference. And I got to spell out the fact f- for everybody that's listening today, a couple of things about Jesus that I have discovered as I continue to study scripture. Jesus was kind of poor. If you think about it, he was born to teenage parents, does that sound familiar in America today? And guess what? Joseph was not the baby daddy in a lot of ways, right? I mean, if we're going to keep it right. So Joseph is like, oh, right? This is not even mine. This is not even my baby, right? Yeah. And, and he's born in the hood, born in a barn, yes. right? I mean, in yes. the projects, right? And then as we continue on in the narrative, what happens to Joseph? We don't know where he goes. Right. So it could be that Jesus was raised in a lot of ways by a single mother who who wasn't doing too well. Right. And then if you study the politics of Jesus and a lot of his comments, you know, it's render unto Caesars what is Caesars. Mm -hmm. What the Lord's is, we'll give it to the Lord. So in my opinion, there's a book called The Politics of Jesus by Yoder. He basically says that in a lot of ways, Jesus saw a big separation between politics, state and religion and and, and 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 that separation is key and important mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and here in america what we're striving to do is merge the two together and if you look at church history christianity was always the minority religion always a religion uh, a faith for the marginalized of society and then constantine comes along and we all know that it was great but because of Christianity now becoming a part of the majority, it opened up Pandora's box to a whole mm-hmm. bunch of issues, mm-hmm. right? So I say all that to say that I have no problem with ethnic groups, cultures adopting Jesus as their own. Mm-hmm. But when you say that our understanding of who Jesus is and how he operated and how he functioned is totally in alignment with what scripture says and our expression of it, then we have a little bit of a problem. It becomes elitist and our culture and the way we do Jesus and the way we do church is right and everybody else is wrong. And guess what? 
All cultures do that. I preach yeah, at an yeah, all black yeah, church. Yeah. Guess what? We like our black church. Yeah. And the way we do church is right. Right. <laughs> I mean, we this the, this is how it's supposed to be done. Yes. And I like sticking in my culture. I'm I'm sorry. I like going to church and feeling a sense of community. I mean, the way we express ourselves during worship is different and it feels at home. Mm -hmm. You know, when we do our potlucks, we get down the way we, I mean, I, the way we fry our chicken, man. It's like, I mean, I mean, and, and the smell of, of when you show up on Sunday, it's a culture thing, right? The smell, I mean, it's just, it's something you embrace and come to love and you become comfortable in it. And when you do that, sometimes you tend to isolate yourselves, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say, I'm being silly now, but I would say church is a reflection of our culture, mm -hmm. big, big time. And to say that the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant is the facilitator of all of this negativity and wrongness and racism in America, I think is an oversight just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit, because I know for my people, we can be very exclusive, very prejudiced and very racist as well. So I just want to give some balance right. to this argument just a little and, bit. So. And I, I, I agree with that, too, Jason. And it, that, listen, I, I think part of in the word I use, part of the acknowledgement is uh, there's an acknowledgement from, uh, I would say, even the African-American church that we like being with our own. Yes. Yeah. We like being with our own. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a there's a certain it is it's just a a, a certain comfort level, a feel, a, a thing that that we just kind of have and it need it's on both sides. This is not a, mm -hmm. a a finger pointing situation, but I I fully agree. I fully agree. Yeah, the the freedom that comes with the faith in Jesus allows for those type mm -hmm. it's actual diversity mm -hmm. and being able to meet with those of like mind and like spirit mm -hmm. and that's all in my opinion that's all part of the uh, you know of the plan and, and so because there's love there that transcends the ideas that we're talking about systemically and so what you've described is not racist, mm -hmm. in in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The fact that y'all want to gather together right. and are comfortable and all that, because I'm going to go way out on a limb here, mm -hmm. because I bet if I walked in that you would embrace my presence. Of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. See, that's, that's the key mm -hmm. difference there. Mm -hmm. And if I came, Greg, to your uh, congregation that you're referencing – I would be welcomed and I would be embraced and mm -hmm. I would be included. Mm -hmm. And I and I want to clearly say that there are white congregations that if a black person comes in, that that absolutely happens as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that they that very much uh, inclusion and the freedom that Christ bought us, you know, allows enough flexibility for those kind of things to happen. And it's not racist, right? Right. right. But the corporate American Christian religion, you know, for many, many years has also participated, whether it's unknowing or not, in the maintenance and the sustenance of, of some of these issues that we're still we're still talking about. So I'm well, I'm glad you said that because yeah. that's such a great uh, distinction to talk right. about mm -hmm. both of those levels of operations both of those levels that are that are concurrently going on yeah yeah that's just what came to my mind because i don't i don't consider that racist yeah i don't either no i don't either uh, no, i don't you know and so you I don't. because it you guys would it's very much inclusive yeah. anything right. that is inclusive like christianity should be because it is basic in basic design it is for the marginalized mm-hmm what we have a problem with in this country is there's a large number of people that don't understand that they're marginalized. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. Mm -hmm. They think they are not. Yeah. And they look at the rest of us, categorize us either by right. class or by skin color mm -hmm. 
or by education. Yeah. And and the marginalization occurs from people to people. Right. Right. You know, they create that. But when Jesus came, he went to the marginalized, if you remember. Yeah, and I think there's a big difference between being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus, right? Because yes. you can be a fan. You know, I know people that just like Jesus. Yes. And when it comes to those hard sayings of what you have to do to live this lifestyle, it's almost, I mean, who really wants to do that? Right. Who really wants to do that? Give up all that they have and give it to the poor and turn the other cheek and all these concepts. It's like, that's cool and I like it, but I'm not really going to do it. So, so my culture has become the predominant driving factor and message system rather than the message that Jesus wants us to follow in. And that's where we start getting all these issues because our cultural biases start to come out and lead. And that's what we're, I think that's what we're addressing in this article. Mm -hmm. It's just that cultural bias that's, that's leading us because Christ is not that, that's not the message of Jesus. Right. right? That, 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 that is something else. Correct. Yeah. Let's be real about it. And, and churches or corporate religion, When you said fan and not follower, right. that that's a real good distinction because lots of people like to talk, right? You know about yeah, uh, yeah. religion, spirituality, Christianity, and Jesus. They love to talk about it. In fact, they gather all together and do that. Yeah, they talk. They get together and they talk, or they listen, and they believe that's actually doing something. <laughs> right, right. But to follow is to follow, is to go where Jesus went. And to, uh, when he says, turn the other cheek, I I mean, if I'm a follower, I turn the other cheek. If I'm a fan, I try to have a discussion about when (laughs) that's appropriate, whether I should, and here's this and this, and we build all of this doctrine into it or theology, and uh, that's fool's gold. Right. And a lot of people get paid to prop up and build and keep that kind of uh, religious theater mm-hmm. going. So the analogy, and I is I like what you, you know, Jason, what you said earlier too. And coach, you hit on this. You talked a little bit about education now being the mm-hmm. what, what what was the term center of center. community. Yeah, you know, I take your education. I raise you one. I I'd say you know in this time and era that we live in, athletics. <clears throat> And you talk about fan or follower yeah. in athletics. We're fans here in America. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, fans, we talk about bandwagon too. We can jump off, jump on, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of things like that. You know, I'm a soccer coach. If you go over in Europe or you go in a lot of these countries, they're not fans. Those are followers. Mm-hmm. What we call stadiums over over in Europe and the, on, on Sundays when they play, that's church. Mm-hmm. That's church. And... It doesn't matter, black or white or whatever, we're coming together under this one purpose and cause, and we're going to be together on that. And if we lose, we're not going to jump off. We're not going to be happy, but we're not going to jump off. And there's people that stay followers of teams even when they get relegated, and when I say right. relegated, they get thrown out of the first division into the second division because they didn't do well enough this year. But we're still staying with that team. We don't jump off and we don't go on with another team. It's interesting that culture, and I, and I say soccer, and I know there's a bias that I have towards it, but it's interesting if you look at it and you are ever over there, that is as close to so many different cultures and types of people that come together that when they're in those stands and those stadiums, it doesn't matter. Mm. We will hug. We will love. We will. I, I, I tell people I've had some of my most loving hugging experiences in stadiums <laughs> with people that <laughs> right, I don't right, right, even know. Right. Don't even know. And it just because, hey, you're a supporter, you're a follower. We're, we're brother and sister. Right. You may look completely different than I, but it don't matter. You wear the badge, I wear the badge. Why are we not that way with 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 our Christianity, with our with our love for for Christ? It's just so different. Now I know a lot of things are so steeped in history 
that might be the answer, but that's a, that's just something I want to throw out. So good. I think in those in so the word church, <laughs> yes. you look at the Greek, ecclesia, all it means is gathering. Yes. Right. So there's churches taking place all over <laughs> all over yeah. the world. Yes. Right? So I'm a hip hop fan. The hip hop culture is a church. We are yes. a church and yes. and the rappers are the preachers. And I mean <laughs> the, the list goes on on how you flesh this out. I think the difference that sporting events have that we are lacking, I think, is you know who your defined enemy is, right? Mm. Like, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, which my wife is, right, and I'm right. a Lakers fan, I know. <laughs> so anybody who's and y'all got yellow, married, yeah, and we got married. I know that, that's that's the love of Christ right there. Uh, but anybody repping that purple and gold is now my friend. And if you don't like the Celtics, which are our enemy, oh, we're we're on board because we have a defined enemy. We know who the enemy is, yes, who we're competing yes. against. And that's why I think those those sporting events and arenas are so powerful because it's so clear. Yes. <laughs> They're so, the bad guy, we're the good guy. Listen. So it's interesting that we can have those experiences that tend to be more humane mm-hmm. and real mm-hmm. when it comes to mm-hmm. athletics or education or some other context. Right. And again, drawing the distinction, I believe that that real Christianity is is in that arena as well. In fact, that may be the reason why we can rally around mm-hmm. athletics or shared meaningful experience like the military and some of those things that happen. But the American Christian religion that has evolved and been built alongside of this country hasn't been able to do that. Yeah. Right. It does not produce the same kind of community and, and unity. Mm-hmm. And it actually, if you take this opinion article, it actually says that it's, you know, participated in structurally and systemically. Right. You know, creating this. And it's, it's just an interesting, it's a real interesting observation or idea, you know, to look at. And again, we're not blaming Right, churches, religion, or Christianity, or even people would remind us that what we're talking about is bigger than people. It's patterns, patterns of interaction, systemic patterns of operation. And when the patterns get bigger than the people, we're all trapped. Mm -hmm. And finding a, a way out of that kind of trap situation, it's a real challenge because when you're in it, when you're in the dance, it's hard to see how what you look like. I don't know if you've ever been, I don't da- dance. been dancing. I know, I know you know I don't dance. I know Jared doesn't, but I've I've it's been dancing happening. before. And let, let me tell you, in my mind, I'm pretty smooth. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, Coach. But occasionally, it. then I will look up and I'll be in the reflection of a mirror. <laughs> and the stark reality... <laughs> Of what I actually look like makes me go sit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you're in the dance, you can't really see the steps and you can't see what it looks like. And and I'm, I'm trying to say that's where America is. Right. We're in this dance that's problematic. And it's very difficult for us collectively can't define our enemy can't we mm-hmm. can't see the steps it's it's just very hard to get out of it right without a lot of talk and a lot of relationship and so i like the fact that we're looking at that article but i just want to come back to the fact that we're not blaming you know religion right. or church right. we're just acknowledging right right that it's part of it it's it's yeah. it's part of this thing that we're we're talking about So one of my questions, one of the things I picked up on was this idea that's a little bit of a irony there between racism is concern about your image mm-hmm. and how I am in the church is concern about my image. Mm-hmm. Your image is wrong. My image is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to hide mine. Right, right. My question is whether or not we have the ability to do differently. Here's why I say that. I learned from Clay a long time ago. In consideration of the second greatest commandment, love thy neighbor 
as thyself. Mm-hmm. Most people hear that. Maybe it's not most. It's me. I presume most. Most people hear that as a challenge to love your neighbor up to the level that you love yourself. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they are already doing that. We have a lot of people who struggle with insecurities. Yes. We have a lot of people who struggle with self-esteem. And when they don't love their neighbor very much, it's correlated with the fact that they don't love themselves very much. Tell me your thoughts about that. Yeah, I would totally agree with that because the idea of that's behind that a message that comes from Jesus is based on a presupposition that you think in appropriate ways about yourself. Mm-hmm that you do value yourself. You see it in other parts of Scripture, that you value yourself, that you like yourself, and that you hold yourself at a at an appropriate level. What we find in this culture, particularly in church culture, is that they made the mistake that to deny self is to devalue the self. And so for generations, they've been teaching people in religion that uh, do not think very highly of yourself. Uh, that selfishness uh, does a couple of things. That erodes the idea of responsibility, okay? And it also puts me at such a, a level that the self cannot be even developed. Mm-hmm. I don't even really know who I am because I have squashed the development of of self. So today, the the issue I think I would have, and if it was written today, it would probably come out very different. It might even say, you need to treat your neighbor way better than you think about yourself. Or it might say you need to love yourself as much as you love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Or it might be worded a, a lot different because the idea you know, has been adulterated over the years. So I think your point being that, yeah, everybody may be doing that. They may be treating their neighbor like they treat yourself. But the salient point is they no, nobody treating theirself very mm-hmm. well. Right. And they don't realize it. And they sure don't, yeah, they don't think about it in those terms. And so the thing I think about that is, is that's not what we talk about in our churches. When we are in our churches, the message I hear is not love yourself more, love yourself better. This is how we're going to help you do that. This is how we're going to support the development of self-love for our members or for our community. And it's like a big gaping hole that is in the spiritual development, the spiritual formation of the people who come within the walls of the church. And I'm wondering if our failure to fill that hole contributes to racism a few steps down the line. It's just my observation. Yeah, I think that's why so many folk within the Protestant expression of, of Christianity flock to people like Joel Osteen and T.D. Jakes who have this message of God is good and he is going to bless you and you keep your chin up. And, and a lot of people scoff at that message, but I may be incriminating myself, but I see some value to that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, and it reminds me of our earlier episode where we were talking about if you don't put your mask on first, if you don't care for yourself you you can't put the you know put your mask on first before you try to help somebody else right yes and but i also know you can you can bring a horse to water but you can't make them drink Mm -hmm. right and i think fixing yourself requires you doing something about it right And, and that goes back to for me i think the scripture contains all the answers for you to live a good life, a life where you are taking care of your temple, where you are. And a lot of people struggle with that. We know mental illness is a big right, thing and there's right. there's problems in, in, in a, the connections of the brain. I get all of that. But for the most part, the prescription is simple, right? If you take this medicine, you'll be healthy. Or if you live this way, you'll be healthy, right? right so right. so I, I like to put the ownership back on, on us as individuals we can't wait for other people to fix us. We've got to be in the process of fixing ourselves. Right. And we have a manual on how to do it, right? And the problem that I see is we're just not listening to the manual as well as we should. And how do you fix that? I, I don't... Well, it reinforces, right. I think, the importance of community within our churches. Yes, yeah. yes. Right? And so right now, our 
Christian community is basically being held together by Zoom. And to some extent, that meets mm-hmm. our needs, mm-hmm. and that's okay. But I think long-term, I think we probably need to consider the importance of getting back together at some point in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you have to have some sense of community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's true. Somewhere, some yeah. way. And I'm not saying that it has to be – I'm not prescribing that way. Right. I'm just saying I think it's an important part of Christianity – is a community. Right. And it also, I think, gives some support for the idea that it's okay that you like your black church. Mm-hmm. It's okay that I like my white church. Right. Or, you know, I think that's okay. But one of the things also that I think about when I'm thinking about the potential for white supremacy within our churches, tell me if your observation is different. I know that over the course of your lifetimes, I'm assuming that a lot of your church experience is, is pretty similar to mine. M- maybe not. You're familiar with mine. Right, right. You know where I go to church. I've right. gone to that kind of a church my whole life. You, you're familiar right, with that. Right, right. Okay. It occurs to me, whenever we go to church, just about every week, you're going to hear certain words. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear Jesus. You're going to hear sin. You're going to hear mercy. You're going to hear forgiveness. Not so much freedom. Right. As I read, I'm learning more and more that part of, is it okay to say black Christianity? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to write. I don't yeah, know how to no, say that's that. all right. Right, right, say, right. Yeah. That black Christianity, because of the oppression that they feel, they very much have a theology around liberation and freedom yeah. mm-hmm. that white mm-hmm. people yep. typically mm-hmm. don't feel. So when we come to the communion table— when we think about what that means to us, it is very much about sin, guilt, forgiveness, mm-hmm. Jesus. It's and when I think about oppression, mm-hmm. what am I oppress? You know, how do I think about that? It's in terms of how do I get out of this world where I'm not oppressed by sin anymore? Right. I don't think about how do I get out of this world where I'm so oppressed I can't walk down the street because I'm my skin color. Right. Okay, so my point with that is I go to a white church predominantly. You go to a black church. When we sit at the communion table, which theoretically represents the the unity of Christians all across the world, Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you the last time that I have thought about that or heard about that within the context of connecting to other black Christians and their viewpoint that day, thinking about freedom. And in my mind, that speaks somewhat to the whiteness of our church. Am I stretching there? No, that's very, no. very well said. Mm-hmm. In in my opinion, and you are, we're allowing this idea to emerge in the discussion because Jared, you're absolutely right. In my opinion, that whites do not go to church and organize around those ideas as if they're longing for freedom and longing for liberation and people of color who have been oppressed and in that situation do it is a different organization and a different experience to be sure right i don't think that anybody premeditates that right now or even has that intent but that's what we're talking about that's what we're trying to highlight you never have that thought and it's because of the fact that you're white. It's because of the fact that I'm white and we grew up in the, even though I'm part Native American, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I've been in that cultural setting. You're touching on an idea that's, that's liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think scares us, right? Well, probably, but just to the sense that we don't get it. Right. We, don't, we don't have a frame for it, you know, as, as white folks. But other people of color absolutely do. The the children of Israel at certain times in their history absolutely had an understanding of liberation theology. When you go back to the to the Lamentations, mm-hmm. when you go back to those those songs, if you will, that 
that are crying out. And you can follow a thread all the way up through the history of music, and and it reemerges, you know, with the advent of slavery, at least for for this country. The old spirituals and the old laments mm-hmm. keep coming through, and and in terms of musicology. You know, which I'm not an expert, obviously, on this, but you can follow that thread and that theme all the way up through the old spirituals and, you know, even the blues and even into rock and roll and into certain gospel areas. The hymns, some of the old hymns have that, but some of them don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what we find that in the evolution of American Christian religion, is that the old lamentations and the old spirituals and the blues, the spiritual <laughs> blues have been weeded out yes. in it's white so churches. Good. And they only sing, you know, about uh, the songs that tend to fit their representational system. Right. And again, I'm not even saying that they're doing that intentionally. No. It's no, an no, evolution. No. Right. And so now we have generations of white people that are going to church that don't know what a spiritual mm-hmm. is or a lamentation yeah. or what the blues are, mm-hmm. which is my favorite genre of, yes. you know, yeah. of music. Yes. And so, so it's a fascinating emergence in our conversation because now we're touching on some of the things yeah. that people don't intend, mm-hmm. but we find ourselves experiencing. Yeah. Right. Then when we try to talk about it, it's almost like, I don't know what you're even. Right. I don't know what you're saying because I don't think that, or I don't believe that, or we don't give it much thought. So, so w- well done. But it it, it needs thought. Absolutely, That's, because again, it's another big fat gaping hole in my mind in our fulfillment of the second greatest command. Yes. Right. I mean, the second greatest commandment of love thy neighbor. When we come to the church in theoretical unity with the rest of the believers in the world, and we lack the awareness or we lack the intentionality to connect with the marginalized, with the black churches, or the oppressed, the white, the right? tactical or level. The color. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And when we, when we do that, to me, it's, it's a, another gaping hole where we're not fulfilling the second command mm-hmm. to love thy neighbor it's not intentional to not do it but in my mind i don't think we're intentional enough about doing it right i wonder if you guys feel that way or if that's ever been something that you've thought about you you're you're throwing out so much stuff man (laughs) you 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 you, we got about 10 shows from stuff that you just talked about today well good i'm just gonna sit back and listen well and i I may completely veer off. I got so much going in my mind. So let me let me let it fly. Let me try to let me try to bring it together. I I think black churches are so much about family. You know, let me just make this analogy. It may be a bad one, but let me make one. You know, if you look at there's a lot of old plantations even here in Arkansas, Georgia, the, you go back and you look at it, the old plantation. So I have in my plantation with acres and acres of land, and the next plantation is way over here. And then, So, you know, you look at a lot of your white families, and there was not much, a lot of connection there. There's distance, even, even just in the, in the, you know, the area in which you live. But if you look at slavery... You look at black people that weren't all related, right? That lived on top of each other, but we come together as family because that's all we had. That's all we had. You know, we didn't have the money. We didn't have the land. We didn't have the different things that the cattle and and uh, the crops and all of that, but we had each other, right? Your black churches are still a lot like that today. We have each other. Coach, about 10, 15 minutes ago, used the word corporate. Our churches in some way have become so corporate that we go to, it's like going to work. You know, I, I worked at, um, at AT&T a couple summers because that's where my dad worked, right? And so everybody goes in in their suit and tie, you know, so I wear my suit and tie in the summer, go to work, and it's corporate. 
and you didn't, you know, you didn't really know much about the people there because I'm there to get my job done and I got my cubicle and I'm here and you got your cubicle. And my cubicle was like my plantation, you know, it was my land. I didn't, I, I controlled what was going on here. You didn't know much. And I didn't know much what was going on you because that was the relationship that we had there, which was not much of one, right? Churches become that way. I mean, in church, we almost sometimes, we, I tell people, we might as well sit in cubicles at church because I can go to church and not say anything to anybody. You know, I'm there and then you, you walk right out because it's not relational. I won't say all white churches are like that because they're not. I've been to white churches where they were more relational yeah. and got in my business from from day one. And I was like, and I had prayed about it. And here, here's the weird thing. I had just prayed to God, God, when we were moving, we were going to work on our doctrine. And I said, God, I want to be with a bunch of brothers and sisters that they want to get to know me and I want to get to know them. So we went down to White's Ferry Road down in, in Louisiana and I go into to Phil Robertson's church there and we are the, the White's Ferry Road Church. And then we go to Phil Robertson's small group that night. And first thing he says was, all right, so we got such and such here and he's a drug addict and he's done this and this and this and this. And hey, tell us about it. And he told his whole story. And he said, looked at you. He said, what about what about you, Harris? He called me Harris. What about you, Harris? And I looked up at God and I was like, I, I didn't mean like next week. God, I needed you to ease me into this. You know, I, I didn't want to bring all that out. But if you look at a lot of black churches, we know everybody's business. We tend to know a lot because there's a relation. There's just a relationship there. But it, that's it's always been there because that was all we had. And I, and I wish... A lot of times, our our churches that 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 get because I'm I go to an all I, I mean I, it's not all white but it's a it's a high majority white congregation, and I'm getting to know people and we're trying to reach out but we've become so corporate in so many ways and that's why I think you know this COVID time is really interesting because we talk about being with your COVID family a lot of times, and this I think you know not just your 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 family, family, you know, your, your, your wife and kids and aunts, uncles, and that, but even in your small groups, that becomes part of your COVID family. We've been together. So we share together. That's opportunity for us to you go back to talk about the people that go to church that have problems, that have issues for us to deal with things like that. Because in corporate church, we have made that that is not the place and time to deal with. And in matter of fact, we don't even give you the opportunity to deal with those things at that because we're so streamlined ahead of doing things a certain way. That's why I think small groups is going to be a big thing with, with churches and breaking us up. And this is a time you talk about COVID COVID may, I, I just think this is such a neat, it's a neat time. It is a neat time in a way it's, it's, painful in a way. I know, I understand that. But if you talk about the church, I think this is the most beautiful opportunity for us to live out the church the way God intended it to be more than it has ever been yeah. since the time of, of Jesus and those times back when the, when the, in the early church. We have opportunity now to be more family oriented in our, in our churches. And I think we are so quick. Everybody is dying to get back to the way things used to be. And that's scary to me. That's real scary to me because I don't think God allowed all this to happen for us to rush back to the way things were. So, again, I know it's all jumbled, but you threw out a lot of golden nuggets there that I I just thought were, were, were beautiful because I think you talk about, you know, you mentioned freedom and I, I do think that's a part of it, but I, you know, I'll use another F word and that's family. Family is such a part of it. And for, for the black congregations and, and, and a congregation like White's Ferry Road that was, that was majority white, it was about family there. I mean, those people knew me when I left there after two years, they knew me through and through. They knew my they knew what I struggled with. They knew my difficulties. They knew what I wasn't good at. They knew what I was good at. And I, I'll be honest, 
That's one of the most comfortable places I've ever been ever in my life, being completely vulnerable and, and having people know me. So I think that's what slaves live with each other. You knew everything about it because there was, there was nowhere to go. I want to make sure our listeners hear the gold nugget that you just put out there because I'm not even sure you realize you said it. But when you were talking about moving down there, mm-hmm. you said, we went down there to work on our doctorate. Right. You didn't say we went down there to work on your doctorate. Right. Our right. family. Yes. And you just, you didn't even realize, I think, that you were saying it like that, but you were just now giving an example. Like, you were demonstrating what you were saying. Right. Family. Yeah, we, we you know, we needed growth. And, and boy, we got in a big way. I mean, smacked upside the face with it immediately. But I think most people would have said, I, my, I would have said, my, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We moved states because I got a job. We moved states because I went to work on, it's not what you just said. You no. just said our. We did for our. And it's like, you're taking, you're talking about the importance of family and it comes out in all of your words. It, all, I just wanted to make sure. He even sure says that with the soccer team. The, and he talks about yeah. the team. You notice that when he talks soccer? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's I, I want our listeners to hear that. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it, it, and the, the only thing, and I know, Jason, you jump in, but the only thing that I have I, I recognized that, that none of this walk is about me. And I can't do this walk by myself. And in order to walk with people, even with you all, you have to know me. You have to know what I'm good at, what I'm what I'm not good at, what I what I struggle with, what I what I don't struggle with, because I feel that is what makes us better. Not me. That makes us better. When you know me and what I can I can help the group and how you can help the group, then we help the group together and we are stronger because of that. Not just I'm stronger. And I think that's important. Man, this is like my favorite episode. <laughs> so, you know, this is this something just came to my mind. In the Army, we used to have a slogan, be all you can be, right? Yes, and, and the Army got wise and they said, that's not a really good thought. So how about we say Army strong, right? And it kind of unifies us from, yes. from kind of like, I, I'm joining, I'm going to become a Ranger, I'm going to get my college paid for to, no, this is a community and we've got to be mindful of each other. So there's two things I want to mention. Uh, you guys, what you have said have been so powerful and it, it has struck me. Two things come to mind. Number one is the challenge of money mm-hmm. and, and affluency. Mm-hmm. Because when you start talking money, it becomes very relative. Like how much is a lot of money? That's different in people's mindsets, right? So, so I think scripture talks about how money builds a wall around us, right? And if I'm going to be quite frank, I've worked for a very large white church in Southern California, right? We're down in Orange County, Mission Viejo. And I remember I was sitting in on a on a, a meeting, and I love this church. It was awesome, by the way. And they were sharing how much money they had in the bank. And I was sitting there like, y'all got that much? In the I'd never seen that much before in my life. I was like, oh, my gosh. And what we were talking about in the meeting is how we didn't have enough right, for this right. or for that to do this and that. And then, you know, I come to another church and I start working there. We literally have $20 in the bank. And if we don't pay this light bill, the lights are going off. Right. So it was all a matter of perspective to me. And I was going, man, this is really, really interesting how money plays a huge role in all of this because the more affluent you are, the more distance there is between you and people in more difficult, oppressed situations. But that's the way we want it, right? Like I know so many of my friends that grew up in the hood in East Oakland that moved out to, to the suburbs, right? And you totally forget about what's happening in that oppressive system because you're separated from it and you don't want to go back. You're happy where you are. And I think that's Satan's really slick trick. He's really slick in making that happen. And I don't think our white churches 
should feel guilty. Like, like uh, you know, like I don't think they're for, for, from what I've seen, it's not purposeful. Right. It just happens. You know, your family does well, you start moving up and, and this, and you get real focused. And before you know it, you're way over here and you're so separated. Yes. And I think in order to understand Christianity, you have to understand oppression, period. If you are a Christian and you have separated yourself from oppression, You've separated yourself from the message of the gospel. Yes. Sermon on the Mount addressed specifically to people who are feeling oppressed, right? The first song that we see in scripture, the song of the sea by Moses and Miriam. It happened when they were running away from Pharaoh and God opened up that Red Sea and crushed the people who were oppressing them under the water, right? And then they come out and they sing this wonderful jubilant song of how God had delivered them mm -hmm. in the sense of community was so, so awesome, right? And I think those are two of the challenges that play a big, big role in this. And money and affluency is really sneaky, yeah. really, really sneaky. Because when I go to white churches, and like you said, I think you expressed it so well, it's more of light the fire in my soul <laughs> right <laughs> right and, and you go to the the black church it's freedom yeah. over me <laughs> and, and, and and that's just the way it is and i think it just kind of happened that way we can go back to our history and yes. say you know we we use slavery as a way to elevate ourselves and we have separated ourselves and that's a big challenge so how do we connect people who live in these ivory palaces with oppressed people mm -hmm. and we can't seem to really figure that out too well within the church right now. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So, so most of the conversations I'm having right now and I'll be quiet is I have white ministers and white churches reaching out to the, the one black church in the area. What can we do to help? What, yeah. how do we figure this thing out? Like what, like, what do we do? Well, good. I, and it's good. good. I appreciate it. Cause it's like, okay, right. now you're waking up a little bit. Let me give you a couple of things that you guys can help us with. And I think that's wonderful, Yeah. but that is the big challenge. How do we, how do we help people to remember the oppressed? That's yeah. why pure religion is to remember the widows and orphans, the oppressed, people what about when the bible says but sell all your goods and give it yeah and and, and then come follow and then me. come follow me mm -hmm. no way i'm not doing well, no, if we no, had no. to do that now we'd be people passing out everywhere <laughs> i just had my cpr class yesterday i i, I would have to give yeah. cpr 24 7 we were just talking about selling t-shirts on incessionpodcast.com <laughs> right before that, we started uh, this tonight i think there is uh, something in scripture that indicates that you cannot serve two masters. Mm -hmm. And the distinction or in the metaphor used there is meaning you cannot, you cannot serve Jesus and money at the same time. And if there's anything in this country that we have not learned mm. yet, it may be that, that idea. And I would go even a little further to say that money quite possibly could be the root of not only racism, but classism and maybe every other, you know, ism that destroys and rips us apart, you know, and separates us. So it's a very, very salient point, Jason, about, about the money. Absolutely. Wow. What a show today. So this is what I heard. Love yourself. When you read Jesus' words, love your neighbor as yourself, if the only thing you hear him saying is that you should not be arrogant or self-absorbed, challenge your thinking on that. If that's all you hear, are you already beating yourself down? Did Jesus come to beat you down? Did he come to tell you that you don't deserve to be loved very, very highly? If the only meaning you hear is one that sets aside your self-love, listen again. Hear him say, love yourself. And loving yourself will take just as much work as loving anyone else does. Does loving your spouse take work? Does loving your enemies take work? So does loving yourself. Work for it. Get up. Get on it. And let's close up the holes in our unity. 
Let's come to the communion table in consideration of everyone who participates. Let's sing as if we're all together. Let's pray as if we're all together. Let's listen as if we're all together. I'm often reminded of John 17. and In John 17, Jesus, he could have prayed for anything he wanted to before he went to the cross, but he chose to pray for unity. What better way could we honor him than to set our minds on unity with everyone during our worship? Thanks again to Greg and Jason for joining us today, and thank you for listening. Please help us get the word out and tell all your friends about us, and check us out and subscribe on InSessionPodcast.com. We'll see you next time on In Session with Jared and Clay.